Well, hey folks, how are we doing today? Are you awake? Yeah? You warm? Good. Well, hey, I'm Jason. I serve here at the church. I'm so glad you're here. I also want to say uh, hello to East and downtown location as well as online and those who may be viewing on television. We're really glad that, that you're with us today. We are continuing the series Seven Deadly Sins. And when I was asked if, how I felt about teaching on sloth, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I feel like it. But, uh, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> no, no, seriously, you know, what is sloth? I mean, is it a fuzzy, slow-moving mammal? Um, I, yeah, I halfway expected a picture of me on there, but that's all right. Um, no, we often think it means, you know, lazy, and it certainly is that, but it's much, much more than laziness. Uh, sloth is actually a serious sin. Uh, in the scriptures, in the Greek, uh, the word is acedia, and in, the definition is an absence of care or backwards. You could also think indifference or drifting, uh, that kind of language. Uh, in a modern dictionary version, uh, it, it really means a reluctant to work or make an effort. So that, uh, that kind of thinking around sloth, it, it is so much more than laziness. Um, it's actually a serious sin. Now, there's two types of sins uh, that are often covered in the scriptures. And one way is, is pretty easy. It's called the sin of commission. And that's doing what God says not to do is a sin. That's a sin of commission. Uh, but there's another type of sin, and that's where sloth really comes into play, and that is not doing what God calls you to do. And so that's the problem with the sin of sloth, is it's not doing what God calls us to do. And so sloth, in many ways, is stealing from God. Stealing what? Well, the life that he has called you and I to live. And so in Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles, we'll get there in just a second, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter in the parable of the talent. Now, just to set a little bit of context in this parable, uh, Jesus is with his disciples. He's looking out at Jerusalem and the temple, heading towards what he knows will be uh, his arrest, crucifixion, and, of course, his resurrection. But uh, the disciples and him are, are having a conversation, and Jesus is telling a series of parables about the kingdom of God and the last days. So it's, it's important in the context to understand what's happening here, but also enveloped into all of that is how we live our lives in light of what really matters in life. And so as he shares uh, this parable, he not only shares why sloth is such a deadly sin, but even more how we're called to live instead and why it has eternal consequences. So we're going to turn to our highest authority in faith and life, which is the scriptures. Can I get an amen? amen. This is the authority of God. Uh, it's not what I'm telling you. I only hope to tell you what the Lord is saying right here and for you to apply it to your lives. So we're going to read this whole passage together, uh, and then uh, we'll unpack it uh, bit by bit. Sound good? All right. So we're going to Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. Uh, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, 
well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had received the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there, where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And at this part, the parable ends, but Jesus continues to talk. And I think it's important for our context today. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, beginning in verse 31, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is the word of the Lord. Now, uh, there's so much to unpack in this rich passage. To be quite frankly, we could spend, we could write volumes of books on what Jesus is teaching about here. So for our purposes today, though, uh, we're going to look at two paths that Jesus uh, clearly lays out before us. One, you wicked and slothful servant, and the other, well done, good and faithful servant, as you can see uh, right here. This is, these are the two paths, and on the surface, this looks like a simple choice. How many of you want the good and faithful servant thing? Raise your hand, yeah? How many of you want the wicked and slothful? You're just trying to be obnoxious if you raise your hand on that. But um, it looks like a simple choice, but as we explore this further, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Evaluate the actual reality of your life and see if it matches up with what uh, the scripture is teaching about what the right road is. Cool beans? Yeah. yeah. Somebody say cool beans. Come on. Well, let's get to work. Uh, pick back up in uh, verse 14. We'll read this again. For it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he also made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now here's the deal. We see that we have emphasized up here who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. And here's the first thing we learn from this passage is that we are here to serve. Right up front, you and I have a decision to make. Jesus has not made this clear. Who will, or he has made this clear, who will you serve? Now, who you serve makes all the difference because if we get this wrong, we get everything wrong. Christ is king, and he has called us to serve him. There is one throne, and the king doesn't share it with anyone or anything else. So like Jesus, though, we are here to serve and not just to be served. That's what Jesus said about himself. And as little Christians, as Christians or little Christ, as we heard earlier today, uh, we are to model him. We're here to serve. 
Now, even if you don't believe it, by the way, you are serving something or someone. Bob Dylan once said, famously saying, it might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Some of you are like, who? Kids look up, it's old music, but you know. Uh, but it's true. That's actually very, very true. You are serving someone or something. But we also discover this. We are stewards of his property. We are, entrust, we are stewards entrusted with his property. The talents in this passage, uh, they represent the currency of the time. Uh, but in our, in our context today, what we could say is everything that we have, all that we are. Okay, so all you have, all you are, your whole life story, uh, your gifts, your opportunities, your challenges, your mistakes and your successes, even your pain and your potential. It's all his. Jesus died for us so that we might live for him. Your life is not your own. It is all his. And Jesus paid a high price for you. So this life is a gift from God. And we have been entrusted to it. And we are called to take responsibility, which, by the way, is a great definition for maturity, is you take responsibility and, in, and steward what he has entrusted to us. So the question is, with this life that we've been given, what will we do with it? Well, as we move along, uh, we're going to notice another highlighted part, to each according to his ability. So we have all been entrusted with gifts and talents. Not ironically talents, but we've all been entrusted with what God has given us. Everything that you have given to us, each according to his ability. And here's the thing, I, I thought I'd mention this. Um, I think it's really easy to fall into the comparison trap and to say, that person has this and I don't have that. Uh, they have this talent, I have this. They're more like this, I'm like that. That is not the way to live. God has equipped us with everything we need to fulfill his purpose. You have strengths and weaknesses just like me. I, I've become painfully obvious in my weaknesses. That's why I like working around people who are strong where I'm weak, because we can balance each other out. Also in our marriage, it's, I'm 6'4", my wife's five foot, so we really balance each other out. Um, I carry her around in my pocket, you know, just, how you doing, honey? Um, but listen, run your race. Run your race. Your story is not someone else's story. The point isn't that we have the most impressive job title or the largest house or the biggest bank account or the most followers on social media or the most punches on our victim card or whatever the case may be. That's not the point. You were made for so much more than that. The point is to show people who Jesus is to the glory of God and the good of others. So we've reached this point in this parable where a separation begins to occur. <clears throat> and you see that uh, two phrases here, went at once and traded and went and dug it in the ground and hid. There are three servants, but two vastly different approaches. Two servants went one way, one servant went another. Two invested, one plays it safe. A separation occurs among the servants not because of the amounts given to them, but because of who they serve and who they live for. So let's continue in our passage here, picking up at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, 
You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Continuing on. And he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now let's discover what it means to be a good and faithful servant. Um, I think a lot of us would admit this is what we want in life, right? I, I hope that's true. In this in this passage, how did the first two servants know that the master wanted them to go and invest what they were given? They knew because they knew the master and what matters most to him. When we walk with the Lord, you and I also learn what matters most to him. So are you spending time with the Lord? Listen, are you praying daily? Are you reading your scripture every day? That's where God's word is. You want to know what God has to say? Here it is. I mean, it's right here. Let me tell you, the world's got it all jacked up, and they wonder why the results are so poor. If only we would do this, I think we'd be okay. You need a church community. You need people to belong to you, and you need a mission and purpose in life. These are some things God has given each and every one of us. So I'm asking you, that's how you know the master and what matters to him. Is you're spending time with him. You're getting to know him. You're reading what he wants you to know. You're in community with people who will help you get there. And you're on mission together uh, to outlive your life for the glory of God. Now, that's how you know him and his heart. So I have a qu- another question for you. Do you know the first recorded words the Lord spoke to human beings? It would seem like that, that would be pretty important. The first recorded words that the Lord, after creation, said to human beings. You want to know? You want to find out? It's a good trivia question. Well, it's, it's, it's essential to know why we're here. We're going to go to Genesis 128. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This passage is often called the cultural mandate, and it calls us to join God in his work in the world. Be fruitful and multiply not only applies to making babies, but also making things better. Uh, From the very beginning, before sin ever bled into the story, God's plan was to entrust us with his property, the world and our lives, and work. This is what we were made to do, good and meaningful work. Before the fall of man, the calling to work is again emphasized in Genesis 2. We have it right up here. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Again, this is before Adam and Eve took the bite of the fruit and uh, disobeyed God and committed the first sin. As image bearers of God I think this is such an important insight. This helps me. This means that work is good, has intrinsic value, and it's what we're created to do. In her book, Total Truth, uh, Nancy Piercy uh, shares this. It's a great quote. Be fruitful and multiply means develop the social world. 
build families, churches, cities, governments, laws. The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage, sometimes called the cultural mandate, because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures and build civilizations, nothing less. That's always been the case. My friends, we know what our calling is. You want to know what your calling is in life? Yours is the same as mine. We are called to be faithful. And God's idea of faithfulness is to be fruitful and multiply. That's it. That's what faithfulness is. That's our original true calling. The servants in the parable instinctively knew that's what they were made for because they knew the master and went about the master's business. And you and I are to do the same. Um, We're here to put our gifts and talents to good use. So listen, create, build, repair, help, lead, cook, tend, imagine, teach, produce, fix, organize, coordinate, clean, research, develop, deliver, manage, improve, coach, prepare, plant, design, serve, try, do something. I hope that covers everything. This is not about what our calling is so much deeper than the exact job that we have and what we do, because sometimes I think some of the most productive work that we have are are parents who are raising children. Come on, if you want to change the world, where's the problems? Where's the need? That's a there's so much work enveloped in that. That's, a, that's good work. Everything that you're doing that has a meaningful purpose is exactly what you're supposed to do. And to not work, though, is to not put your gifts and talents to good use, and it's disobedience to God. In fact, it is slothful. I don't have it up here, but 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, I think it's important to note this. Uh, for it, Paul, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, for even though we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy as, at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So work is at the heart of what God's called us to do. And to not work I mean, there's a difference between not working because you can't and because you won't. And I, I've always had, like, multiple jobs at one time. I'm a weirdo. That's why I'm, uh, you'll find out why I am the way I am here in a little bit. I'll share something. But, but we're also called to rest. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something to you. I'm sharing this truth of God, not because I have mastered this. I, have, I fail at this often. It causes problems for me. Um, but I'm going to tell you because it's the truth. Jason's not the standard. God is. He's the authority. So this is what he says about rest. When work is rewarding, rest is sweet. God has called us to Sabbath. And it's, it's following his lead and resting. God made this world in six days, rested on the seventh, not because he was tired, because he loves you so much he set a pattern for you and I. He says, do it this way. And it not only honors God, but it keeps work in its proper context to make sure that we don't make work a false god in and of itself. I think that we're somehow the center of all the universe. We are not. I trust you. Trust me, we're not. The world will continue on without you. But that doesn't mean you don't have good work to do while you're here. But going back to our passage, we see another timeless truth. 
on the well done, good and faithful servant. And it is this phrase, um, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Now, I love the way my friend Nicholas Hecht, pastor here on staff, uh, said it last week in a devotional he did for our production team. And just the phrase, I, I, I love the way he said this. And it says, uh, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So sometimes I know we're in situations we don't like, doing things we don't care to do. Um, while work is meaningful, we have to acknowledge sin is very real and it infects the workplace. In fact, the things that you hate about your job or your situation is probably a result of sin, either from other people, uh, from bad systems because of a broken world, or your own heart and your attitude. Maybe you're not in the work that you prefer to do. Uh, maybe you are, but the situation's tough. Maybe your boss is a jerk. Maybe you think your job's just really not that important. Maybe you're just burned out. Maybe you just need to change your attitude, or maybe everything's just great. But regardless of whatever your work situation is, remember who you're serving. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as if for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When you go to work, to that job you hate, and those customers that are mean, or those people that don't take you for granted, or whatever the case may be, or maybe you love it, you're working for the Lord first. <clears throat> In other words, work is an act of worship. My dad, uh, my dad installed flooring for a living. Uh, that's how he provided for our family. And as a teenager, I ignorantly asked him a question. I asked him if he wished he had done something that had a greater impact. Uh, he said, you know, sometimes, and I only said that because I knew my dad loved to serve, uh, serve the youth and do a lot of good things. But he said, sometimes, but then again, how many jobs would put you in a different place each day where you could be on your knees and pray for the people who live and work there. My dad did that for 35 years. Uh, he had calloused hands and calloused knees from a lifetime of work. He had a big heart and wisdom to boot. A lot of lessons in that. 2010, as he, he doesn't like carpet or do flooring anymore. Don't ask me for his number, but he, uh, he was named... Flooring Installation Specialist of the Year for all of North America as he retired. He was good at his job. People t talk to me, are you Russ's son? I get that all the time. Um, and if you didn't have him lay your flooring, you wouldn't know, but those who did, they know. But it reminds me of this great quote from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets as if Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. That sounds like good and faithful servant to me. How about you? My friends, your purpose runs deeper than a position. Success isn't measured in achievement in the eyes of man, it's measured in faithfulness in the eyes of God. And we are called to make the most of our lives, our opportunities, and our challenges. And in doing so, we enter into his joy. And that joy, this is where the party's at, by the way, because this is what the king's work is, and he calls us to be a part of advancing his kingdom on earth today. So that's one road. Well done, good and faithful servant, but we need to look at the other one. 
of the wicked and slothful servant. Picking back up in verse uh, 24. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Now, we're going to go back to verse, the beginning of this. There's two points I want to highlight out of this passage. The first one is this, I knew you to be. This is what the slothful servant says. The reason this servant is wicked, by the way, he's a wicked and slothful, what makes him wicked? Is the same reason the other servants were good. And it wasn't because of what they did, but because of who they serve. If it sounds like I'm repeating myself, I am. Who are you serving? That's what makes you good or wicked. It's not your good works. You will do good works as a result of the work God did in you. The reason is the servant is wicked is that he doesn't actually know the master at all. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. James uh, 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Lots of folks, lots of church folks even know about God but do they have a relationship with God? That's them. Do you know about God, but do you have a relationship with God? You're hearing that today because God wants a relationship with you. If you're hearing this, that is God's call to you. If the servant did know the master, the slothful servant did know the master, he would know what the master was calling him to do, and that was live faithfully. Here's a second statement from the slothful servant I want to highlight. I was afraid and I went and hid your talent, right? Remember, sloth is not doing what God calls us to do. He is slothful because fear is keeping him from doing what God has called him to do. So I've got another question for you. Do you know the first recorded words Adam said to God after the fall of man? After when sin bled into the story? Do you want to find that one out? All right, Genesis 3, verses uh, 9 through 10. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? By the way, this is a rhetorical question of God. He knows where you're at, but he knows that mankind is trying to distance himself from God. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, notice a pattern. Contrast this statement with the parable, with the message in the parable that said, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent. I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid myself. In both verses, sin breeds fear, and fear leads us to hide. It's true of Adam and Eve, it's true of the slothful servant, and it is true of you and I. Even more, being fearful prevents you from being faithful. Are you more fearful than you are faithful? This is what fear does. It prevents us from living how God calls us to live. Perhaps that thing you fear most, that dragon you must stare down, that risk you must take, that person you must talk to, that leap of faith uh, you must take action on, is the very thing that will lead you to the life you're called to live. I know that's been true in my life. Uh, I'm going to get political with you. Back in fourth grade, um, 
I, uh, I, I went to a new school. In fact, in my elementary years, I changed elementary schools a dozen times. My parents split early on. I live with my mother in Texas. My dad had moved up here to South Dakota, remarried and built his life. But prior to me moving up here in sixth grade, I had made all those changes in elementary school. So multiple years, I was starting a new school. Didn't have a lot of friends. Won awards for best behaved because I never talked because I was scared out of my mind everywhere I went. Um, and in fourth grade, as I started a new school, I, I started this new school and I was in the minority. Uh, nobody uh, knew me, liked me, looked like nothing. I was just, I, I was very much in the minority. I wanted to make friends. And in this school, uh, I heard something like the first or second week of school that said, we have class selections coming up. We're going to select the student council president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer. And I got clarification from my teacher about what those were. And she said, well, these are the big ones. And the secretary takes the notes and the treasurer keeps the money. And I was like, I know how I can make friends. I will run for treasurer. I don't know anybody in this school. But that's what I'm going to do. So I got excited that weekend. I got my spiral notebook out, and I drew pictures and wrote, vote for Jason with, like, a fighter pilot jet on there. And another picture with vote for Jason with, like, a skateboard. Just a bunch of things like that. And Monday morning, I show up to school to hang these up in the hallway. And my spiral notebook with the little fringes, vote for Jason. And I see all the poster board with their glitz and glamour and glitter and pictures cut out from magazines. And I thought, oh, no, this is terrible. But... I hung up my posters, vote for Jason. Then I find out there's a school assembly later that week where we had to give a speech. I was scared. But being uh, the minority in this school at the time, uh, people loved Yo! MTV raps, and there's a lot of flat tops in my school with the stripe. Like, really, you know, just everybody was like, yeah, you know. Um, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll rap my speech. So I wrote a speech. Gets to the end of the week. This will make this will make this is how you win friends and influence people. Uh, get to get there, and so they have all the candidates for all the offices sitting on the stage in the school cafeteria with everybody else sitting out there, and each one gives their speech. They're dynamite. In fact, the, the most popular kid in school, a fifth grader, uh, uh, he had an awesome like kid and play flat top. I don't know if you remember those guys, but it was pretty sweet. But like he had like. He got everybody all fired up. So he was like the best. And then finally, towards the end, I, the treasurers get to speak. And, you know, I'm at the end. And I get up there, and I decide to give my speech. And it's a rap. I decided to write a, <laughs> decided to write a rap. This is a picture, this picture of me in like third grade with my Miami Vice jacket, by the way. That was really cool. So, so this is uh, Lubbock, Texas, 1980-something. And uh, I did my rap. I guess I'm going to ask you, you want me to rap? Now, <laughs> don't get your hopes up. I'm going to say fourth grade, Southern, pre-puberty or starting it actually, but <clears throat> so here's what I did. I get up to the microphone, everybody's looking at me and I go, my name is Jason and I'm the man. I can keep money. Yes, I can. So won't you please vote for me? And you can see how good I can be. Thank you. And I went run and sit down in my chair. I was not DJ Jazzy Jeff that day, but and honestly, it was dead silent. Have you ever seen Napoleon Dynamite after he did that dance? But the most popular kid in school 
got up on his feet and it was like, yo, that was awesome. Something like that. I don't remember. It was just, it yelled something, but everybody got excited and they all clapped. And, and, uh, and I, and I, that wasn't because I was good. I think it was probably A for effort, but um, although the school didn't think so, I still lost the election. But I learned something that day. And what I learned was this. Uh, sometimes you have to do it scared. When, I talk about, when we talk about overcoming fear, since that point in my life, I have had to overcome fear constantly. But it has made me stronger and stronger and stronger until I'm doing the things that I'm doing today. And that was because God was faithful. I didn't know why, why I was doing this, why I felt like I had to run for anything and then give a speech and wrap it of all that. Why did I make it so hard on myself? God knew. God knew I was standing right here before you today giving you a message that you want to hear that I would not have been capable of had I not gone through that. And here you are. And here I am. Not because I'm great, but because he is. And that's the point. Being faithful calls us to overcome fear. You Rather than run around every fear, how about you just run through it? You got the power of God on your side. But fear also does this. Fear fools us into playing it safe. Fear fools us into thinking that uh, playing it safe and it's just fine. But it's actually very dangerous. The slothful servant felt he was safe and gave back to the master what he gave him. He may not have increased it like the others, but listen, he didn't lose it either. He kept it safe. Gave back what was given, no harm, no foul. The fact of the matter is this. The servant doesn't actually serve the master. He serves himself. He's more concerned about self-preservation than self-sacrifice. I mean, good grief. He wouldn't even make the minimal effort. The master tells him, something would have been better than nothing. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the effort. And the servant had gained nothing because he had risked nothing. There was no increase because there was no investment. My concern is that many people who call themselves Christian mistakenly believe they can play it safe and live right down the middle. Be a good person and have one side of the ledger be better than the other side. That is a lie straight from the devil. The servant tried to find middle ground. He gave back what was given. But look what that got him. The fact of the matter is this, there is no middle ground. When it comes to following Jesus, it's all in or nothing. I love how C.S. Lewis uh, said it. It may be a hard thing for an egg to become a bird. It is a jolly sight harder. He's British, so that's why I had to do that. Jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while it is still in eggs. We are like eggs today, and we must either be hatched or go bad. We try to escape to the neutrality of the egg, but that's not what we're designed for. A bird must be hatched, then fly, but sadly, I think many of us are happy to sit in our eggs and waste our lives. Big idea today, don't waste your life. Wasted opportunities lead to wasted days, wasted days lead to wasted lives, and wasted lives make us slothful servants. I want better for you than that. So does God. That leads us to the end. Uh, Matthew 25, 28 through 32. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and again, this is after the parable of the talents, but I think it's important to put this in context. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. All roads lead to the throne. Johnny Cash was right. The man comes around. And we are accountable. We began with two roads, if you remember. The good and the faithful and the wicked and the slothful. Same starting place. Same ending point. Two very different outcomes. Share this because the stakes are high. What you do in this life matters in the life to come. Please don't be slothful. Don't wait until it's too late to live the life God calls you to live. We are called to live faithful, fearless, and free. To not just know about God, but know him. Answer the call and serve him now. Put your trust in him and steward the life he has given you. Don't let fear keep you from living the life that you are meant to live. Go all in for King Jesus. We either get what we don't deserve, and that is Jesus and all his goodness and grace. We don't deserve it, but we can get it if we follow him. Or if you prefer the other route to get what you do deserve, you will get a life and eternity apart from a relationship with him, and you would know about it forever. Don't go down that road. I'm begging you, please. His way is much better. The king is returning, and he is calling us to share in his joy. And until he does... We've got work to do. So may we all live in such a way that we hear those sweet, sweet words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you for this calling that we have to live faithful, fearless, and free. Lord, uh, we acknowledge that sometimes we believe a lie and, and don't live that way. But God, thank you for correcting us. Thank you for your word that instructs and teaches us. Lord, we pray your spirit would move in and through our lives so that we would live the lives that you called us to live. Thank you for my friends here. Thank you for everything you're doing uh, in our church, in our community, and beyond. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.